Welcome to Inspire Church's podcast. We're excited you're listening. Our hope is to inspire you to grow in God's Word, to grow more in love with Christ, and to go be a light wherever you are. To find more teachings or donate to the ministry, visit us at inspirechurches.com. Good morning, everybody. Come on, round of applause. I know I can't see your face, but smile anyway. <laughs> Good morning to everyone here with us this morning at the Crown Plaza. If this is your first week back with us, maybe you weren't able to make it last week, welcome home. And for those of you that are joining on live, watching us, give me a round of applause to all those that are watching us live. Shout out to my mother-in-law in Atlanta, Althea and Douglas. I love y'all. My mom is at home today. Uh, so shout out to my mama today and everybody who is watching us online. We love you guys so much. We can't wait to be with you guys in person. It is so good to be back. Amen. It is so good to be back home. It's so good to see I say your faces, even though we just get to see your eyes and your eyebrows, but um, I noticed that you guys start doing them now. It looks good. And uh, (laughs) just kidding. But good to see you guys again, even if it's just not your face, but your body. Um, It is great to be here. Um, We are in the home stretch uh, uh, of the book of Daniel. Uh, Daniel is 12 chapters long. Last week, we went over chapter 10. Today, we'll go over chapter 11, and then we will finish next Sunday the book of Daniel in chapter 12. So we're literally in the home stretch. And if you guys remember, these final three chapters of Daniel kind of form one unit. They are the, um, they're one vision in three chapters. And we described kind of this final section of the book of Daniel, chapters 10, 11, and 12, as the great conflict. If you guys remember last week, we talked about the invisible conflict between angels and demons. If you missed that, go back and check it out. And we're describing this morning's topic as the visible conflict between kings, nations, and empires. Now, I was sweating bullets all week trying to get through this chapter. It is 45 verses long, and it can be dense and detailed. But nonetheless, it is an amazing chapter, and I'll explain why. You see, an angel came to Daniel after an invisible warfare over the word. God had sent Daniel a word And an angel, the messenger, was bringing that word to Daniel in chapter 10. And that word would reveal to Daniel what would happen to his people in the last days. Now, today's text, chapter 11, is so detailed and so prophetically accurate in its predictions that liberal scholars who deny the inspiration of Scripture would suggest that there's absolutely no way Daniel could have wrote this. They argue that there's no way anybody would be able to tell the future as accurately as chapter 11 has told it, and thus they have come to a conclusion that Daniel has not written. And there's a debate within scholar academia as to whether or not this particular part of Daniel was written by Daniel. But how many of you know God knows the end from the beginning? Okay, a few of you. How many of you know that God knows the end from the beginning? I know we can be a little skeptical at times. We like logic, but there are things that are taking place beyond our understanding. God knows the end from the beginning. Now, chapter 11 predicts history. Are you ready? Over a 375-year period. 
with its final predictions yet to be fulfilled. In the first 35 verses, it show, Daniel showcases 135 events. They predict 135 events that are basically future to Daniel, but for us, it's history. Now, there is no other book, no other chapter in the entire Bible as detailed about the future than Daniel chapter 11. And so while skeptics debate the date and authorship, we know that God is in control of human history and he's moving it towards his desired end for his glory. I want to say that again. As skeptics debate dates and authorships, we know that God is in control of human history and he's moving it toward his desired end for his ultimate glory. This has been the reoccurring theme throughout the book of Daniel. If you've been with us on this journey, God is in control. So we jump into this incredible chapter. But before we do, I want to pray a few things over us. Number one, I want to pray that we would have the wisdom to discern. Number two, I want to pray that we would have the courage to act. And number three, the endurance the strength to endure till the end. Amen? And so let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you. Thank you for opening these doors back up. Thank you for holding us and holding our faith in the pandemic. Thank you for making a way for us to come back and be together again. We love you. We honor you. We pray for the wisdom to discern, the courage to act, and the strength to endure till the end. We ask these things in Christ Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Do you like history? Anybody like history? But let me see, raise a hand if you like really loved history. Good for you. For those of you who are not raising your hands, I'm so sorry. I am so sorry. Uh, I, I was, I, like I said, I was wrestling all week with this. This is not necessarily going to be a sermon. That may, you may feel like you're in a classroom. I'm going to try to make it interesting for you, but this chapter is uh, full of history. I might be more teachy than preachy uh, this morning, but if you want preachy, you can just go back to last week or come back next week. Um, uh, but nonetheless, I'm going to try to make it simple. We're going to divide these 45 verses into two simple categories. Now, I know it's a little dark in here, but if you're a note taker, if you want to go back and re-listen, the two categories are this. Now, section one, category one is going to be verses one through 35, and we're going to call it the past things. The past things, right? The past things or predictions that have been fulfilled in history, okay? So Daniel is hearing from the angel and the angel is predicting the future. But we are way in the future, so we can look back and it's, it's ancient history to us. Does that make sense? So the first section will be called the past things. And then the second and final section, which is verses 36 through 45, will be called the last things, right? And these are predictions that have yet to be fulfilled and will be fulfilled in the end times. Ooh, <laughs> end times, right? Um, and so again, past things and last things, amen? I'm glad you guys seem a little up this morning. That's good, laughing, talking, talking back to me. I'm gonna need that today because this is history, this is dense, but I'm gonna need that today. So it's great, I love the laughs, it's beautiful. 
Now, I want you just to kind of note this in your, um, in your mind. Uh, and I'll, actually, I'll repeat this. I'm gonna repeat this a few times, but because God has been, listen, this is so important. Because God has been faithful to his word in the past things, we can be confident in his word on the last things. Amen? Because God said it and it was done, in the past things, we can be confident that what he said about the last things, it'll be done too. Amen. I mean, that's what integrity is, isn't it? Isn't it trusting somebody's character based on how they've reacted, responded in the past? Like their yeses, you can trust people. Why? Because they have a history, right? That you can trust. And so because God, amen, had been faithful to his word in the past things, we can be confident in his word concerning the last things. Now, because of time, 45 verses here, we are not gonna be able to read the entire chapter. Ah, right? We're not gonna be able to read the entire chapter. But I'm going to highlight some key sections. Now, if you're a nerd like I am, you wanna go back and read, read, you know, have your fill with this chapter. Uh, but what I'm gonna do is I'm gonna highlight some key sections and make some observations along the way so that you guys can ultimately get the full or at least the big picture. And so if you have your Bibles or your Bible apps, we're gonna go to Daniel chapter 11 and I am going to read to you verses one and two. And again, remember, an angel has come to Daniel. There's been some spiritual warfare, the uninvisible warfare he's broken through and he's come to Daniel and says, look, I got a word for you. And this is from the Lord about your people in the last day. So this is the angel speaking to Daniel. In uh, chapter 11, Verse one and two says this. Actually, I think this is verse two, two and three. This might be verse two, apologies. It says this, and now I will show you the truth. And now I will show you the truth. Again, this is the angelic messenger. He tells Daniel, three more kings shall arise in Persia. Now remember, Daniel's in Persia at this time in exile. And he's telling Daniel, look, there's three more kings shall arise in Persia and a fourth shall be far richer than all of them. And when he has become strong through his riches, and this is key, he shall stir up all against the kingdom of Greece. So let's pause. After breaking through a demonic stronghold in chapter 10, the angelic messenger delivers God's word. He tells Daniel, Daniel, after King Cyrus, the king that you're under right now, he tells him there are actually gonna be three more kings, but the fourth king will reign in Persia and this king will be the wealthiest king. Are you with me? Now, history will identify this man as Xerxes. Now, just to keep this a little bit interesting for everybody here, um, I definitely want to make sure that you guys can know who Xerxes is. Uh, if you watch the movie 300, that weird, tall, kind of interesting guy, the king of Persia, that was Xerxes. And we're going to keep, let's just keep this picture up here for a minute, uh, just so that you can see. History will identify this man as King Xerxes. Now, a little side note about this man. During his reign in Persia, there was an official by the name of Haman. And this official plotted to uh, exterminate the Jews from Persia. But there was a young Jewish woman by the name of Esther who caught 
well, not necessarily this guy's eye, okay? This, is, this guy is, if we can go back to him really quick. That's Rodrigo Santoro, by the way, from 300. There was a young, a young uh, a Jewish girl, woman, by the name of Esther, married Xerxes and flipped the script on Haman. And instead of, instead of destroying the Jews, Haman actually ended up meeting his wrath. Are y'all with me? Now, just as the messenger had predicted about this man, Xerxes, Xerxes would, if you remember the movie, would mobilize over a million men to Greece. But Greece would fend off Xerxes and fend off his advance and would actually turn him back. Are y'all with me? Now, again, this is just a reminder. This is all ancient history to us. But to Daniel, this was prophetic. We've been given the blessing of hindsight, but in the moment, all of this was yet to be fulfilled. So let's continue to move on. Verses one and two is about Xerxes. Let's go to verse three and four. The angel continues. He says, then a mighty king shall arise who shall rule with great dominion and do as he wills. And as soon as he is risen, his kingdom shall be broken and divided toward the four winds of heaven, but not to his posterity, nor according to authority with which he ruled. For his kingdom shall be plucked up and go to others besides these. We're going to stop there again. Now, this meteoric rise and fall of this kind of strong king would ultimately be fulfilled by a man named Alexander the Great. And again, just to keep this fun and slightly interesting, that is Colin Farrell and Oliver Stone's Alexander. I actually wanted to see this movie, but I heard it was terrible. Anybody see that movie? Okay, well, I'll ask you later. Now, Alexander the Great, as we keep this beautiful mug up here, uh, Alexander the Great, or maybe not, depends on what you like, I don't know. Uh, Alexander the Great was a fascinating guy. Fascinating guy. Listen to this. Alexander the Great will assume power at 20 years old. He'll conquer the known world right around 30. Imagine that. You ruled the world at 30. Like some people are like, what are you gonna do? I wanna rule the world. No, Alexander Great ruled the world at 30. How's that for your career move, right? Alexander will assume power at 20. He'll conquer the known world at 30. And then he'll die of some kind of flu at 32 after a night of having a little too many and partying in the Babylon. Now, what's really interesting about Alexander Josephus, which is the uh, Jewish historian, ancient Jewish historian, he makes a comment that Alexander conquers the known world and he leaves the Jews alone. He allows them to continue to practice their religion. He doesn't really mess with them. And it's said, and Josephus said this, that when Alexander came riding into Jerusalem, he had a dream and saw the high priest in his dream. And the high priest came out met Alexander, and Alexander says, I've seen you before, and that the high priest rolled out the scroll of Daniel and pointed to the section and said, that's you. And apparently Alexander got a kick out of that because he was very mystical, loved spirituality, and so he decided to keep the Jews, so to let them be, according to Josephus. And you can look this up, I'm not making this up. 
Now he'll die at 32. And just as the messenger predicted to Daniel, he says the kingdom will not go to his posterity. What does it mean? The kingdom won't go to his legitimate heirs. In fact, it's believed he had two sons. One was Hercules. And both of them were actually killed. And ultimately that his kingdom would be divided up by five generals. One general wouldn't last very long. So ultimately the kingdom, the known world would be separated into fours just as the messenger had said. Now I'm gonna give you again, history lesson. I'm gonna give you, uh, I'm gonna let you kind of see what these kingdoms look like and what, how the generals kind of parse this out. So the first general was a general by the name of Cassander. And he was given Macedonia and Greece. The second general was Lysimachus. Can you say that with me? Lysimachus. It's kind of fun. It's a fun name. Maybe you name your child Lysimachus. He was given Thrace. <laughs> okay. And that's like Bulgaria and Turkey and a little part of Greece. Now, here's what I want to tell you. These first, these first two generals, they won't play a big role, but these next two generals will play the, will set the tone for the rest of Daniel 11. These next two generals will play the biggest key roles here he is. You ready? Number three, Seleucus or Seleucus. Depends on how you want to pronounce that. Now, Seleucus was given Syria and Babylon, which is the, to the north of Israel. Okay. And then the final general was Ptolemy. And he was given Egypt, which is to the south of Israel. Now, I want to kind of show you a map. Everybody Okay. I know, right? A little teachy, not, not preachy. Trust me, I'll, get, I'll do a little preachy at some point, but I want to show you the map. You see the Seleucid's kingdom at the top there to the north? You guys see that? Yeah. All right. And you see at the bottom there, there's the Ptolemies. It's with a P. You can say Ptolemy, but it's actually Ptolemy's kingdom. You see that on the bottom? And do you see the little red spot right in the middle in between both of those giant kingdoms? That is Jerusalem and Israel. You can see that Israel is right in the middle of these two empires. Now, how do you think that's going to go for Israel? In the next 30 verses, the angelic messenger, let's just keep that up there for a moment. You guys are doing great back there. I gave them tons of slides and I'm so proud. Can we give them a hand of applause? Yeah, they're doing amazing. I know. The last thing that the behind the scenes people want is to be recognized though. So I just messed it up. You guys are doing great though. Uh, I just want you guys to see this map for a second. For the next 30 verses, they will predict in detail over 200 years of conflict between these two warring empires, the king of the north and his descendants and the king of the south and his descendants. And that's how the word of the Lord will uh, um, call them, the king of the north, the Seleucids, or the king of the south, the Ptolemies. And these two kingdoms for 200 years will clash for dominance in the region. And guess who's right in the middle of it? Israel. Israel. There will be wars, skirmishes, victories, and surrenders, the north will win and then the, the south will come back and come stronger. There will be alliances, arranged marriages, plots to kill and assassination attempts. Kings, queens, princes, and family feuds all precisely predicted by the messenger right here in Daniel chapter 11. You could actually read through it. I mean, there's stuff that is so precise that it is it is um, confirmed by history. 
Now watch, even though Israel is not directly involved, that little red strip of land in between these two gigantic empires will suffer the consequences of being in the middle of this visible warfare for dominance in the region. Now I want you to think about it. That tiny piece of land on the map has seen more warfare and more bloodshed than most regions in the world. In fact, as we speak right now, today, many of you have been watching on the news or on social media and you might have different opinions about what is going on over there. But as we speak right now, that region is still experiencing territorial clash and territorial rights. It's incredible. Now watch this, not only, and let's go back to that map. Let's just keep that up a little bit longer. Not only has this little speck on the map seen more warfare in its past and present, but watch, it'll also be the future site of the final battle at the end of time called Armageddon. Some of you guys are like, oh, Armageddon, oh my gosh. That'll be the, that'll, the kings of the north, the kings of the south will come against the antichrist. We'll talk a little bit about that. We won't go too deep today. But that'll also be the spot of the final battle, at the end of history, according to the word of God. Fascinating, right? At least I thought it was. Now, before we move from the past things to the last things, there is one more key historical figure that I need to identify. Now, remember, verses one and two, we talk about Xerxes. Verses three and four, Alexander gives way to his four generals. And then for the rest of the next, I can't do the math, till verse 35, it'll be the kings of the north and their descendants versus the king of the south and their descendants clashing. But there will be one more person that's really important for us to bring up before we get to the last things. Are you with me? So we're gonna jump to verse 21, chapter 11, verse 21. It reads like this. In his place shall arise a contemptible person to whom the royal majesty has not been given. He shall come in without warning and obtain the kingdom by flatteries. Now, this individual will be identified in history as... Antiochus. Let's go ahead and show. This is the only image that they really have of this man. Now, history will reveal this man as the eighth ruler of the Seleucid Empire. In fact, he takes on the name Antiochus, the fourth Epiphanes. He takes on the name Epiphanes, like an epiphany, which means manifestation or like God manifested. And again, we'll just keep it here for a moment on this picture. Verse 21 calls him contemptible. Do you guys get that? Some versions translate this as vile, despicable, or despisable. We're told that his rise to power would be sudden and out of nowhere. And that because he was not a legitimate heir, his claim to the throne would be the result of flattery. 
And although he'll be a gifted politician and a gifted orator, verses 23 and 27 will describe him as a liar, a manipulator, willing to do whatever and deceive whoever for more power. You with me? Now, his armies will be formidable, but in verses 25 through 28, he'll suffer a humiliating defeat to the king of the south, who, guess what, allies with a new player in the scene called Rome. Right? So, all of this is happening in what is the intertestimonial period, intertestament period, okay? This is in between Malachi and Matthew, the Old Testament, the New Testament. It's all happening. This clash right here is all happening in that time. In fact, a lot is written in the Apocrypha. So Maccabees, the book of Maccabees, there's two, Maccabees one, Maccabees two, actually captures this. There's a Maccabean revolt. And so even though those aren't inspired texts, they give good history and insight. Are you with me? So again, his armies will be formidable, but in verses 25 through 28, he'll suffer a humiliating defeat to the king of the south who allied with a new power, like I said, stepping onto the world stage named Rome. Now there's a fascinating story about a Roman captain who had a confrontation with Antiochus. So Antiochus takes his forces and he goes to the king of the south in Egypt and he's the Ptolemies and he surrounds them and sieges them but they've partnered with the Romans. And so there's this story that a Roman captain comes and has a meeting with Antiochus and he draws a circle around him in the sand. And he tells them, you need to decide whether you're gonna pull back or you're gonna continue before you leave this circle. It's pretty, I thought that was cool. I got one laugh out of that. I, just, I thought that, I mean, right? I mean, that's pretty like, that's pretty OG, right? And and he pulls back because he understands the power of the Roman army allied with Egypt. And so he pulls back and, is, and basically suffers a humiliating defeat. Now, here's what's crazy. After suffering this defeat on his way back home, he'll take it out on the Jews. And verse 1131, remember the angel is delivering a message to Daniel, telling what's going to happen to his people in the end times, the latter days. Verse 1131 says this, forces from him shall appear and profane the temple and fortress and shall take away the regular burnt offering and they shall set up the abomination that makes desolate. Does that sound familiar? The abomination of desolation. Jesus talks about this. Right? Jesus in Matthew 24, in Mark 13, Luke 21 will reference this past abomination of desolation in regards to a future abomination of desolation in Israel. Now, listen to this. In his anger, Antiochus Epiphanes will take away the daily sacrifices from the temple. He'll stop the sacrificial system, which means everything to the people of God. He'll fill the temple's rooms with prostitution. He'll put a statue, he'll erect a statue of Zeus, and then he'll sacrifice pigs on the altar. And some say he'll even make the priest eat, which again is totally abomination, the Old Testament. He'll rob the temple of millions of dollars worth of gold and valuables. 
And it said, are you ready? That he killed over 80,000 Jews, took more than 40,000 as prisoners and sold over 40,000 Jews as slaves. Now he called himself Epiphanes, but the Jews called him Epimanes, which meant madman, madman. Now, again, before we move on to the last things, it's important for you to understand this about God's people in the past things. Listen, the great American writer, Mark Twain, anybody read any Mark Twain? All right, he's an agnostic and a skeptic. Listen to what he writes about the Jews. He says this, the Egyptian, the Babylonian, and the Persian rose, filled the planet with sound and splendor, then faded to dream stuff and passed away. The Greek and Roman followed, made a vast noise and they are gone. Other peoples have sprung up and held their torch high for a time, but it burned out and they sit in the twilight now or have vanished. The Jews saw them all, beat them all, and is now what he always was, exhibiting no decadence, no infirmities of age, no weakening of parts, no slowing of his energies, no doling of his alert and aggressive mind. All things are mortal but the Jew all other forces pass but he remains what is the secret of his immortality fascinating and again I'm not advocating one way or another I am telling you the historical rise of the Jew that God and his people and throughout ancient history how God has and his people have outlasted kingdoms and we talked about that with Daniel Now, famous 20th century Russian philosopher, Nikolai Berdyaev, I probably said that wrong. If you're Russian, I apologize. He says this, the Jews have played an all important role in history. Their destiny is too imbued with the metaphysical to be explained either in material or positive historical terms. Its survival is a myster- is mysterious and wonderful phenomenon demonstrating that the life of this people is governed by special predetermination transcending the process of adaption. The survival of the Jews, their resistance to destruction, their endurance under absolute peculiar conditions and the fateful role played by them in history all point to the particular and mysterious foundations of their destiny. These are men, skeptics, agnostics, unbelievers, commenting about observations of God's people throughout history. And if you've been with us throughout the book of Daniel, you will understand that these words are true. Now, 300 years ago, King Louis XIV of France asked mathematician Blaise Pascal to give him proof concerning the supernatural. Pascal said, why the Jews, your majesty, the Jews that they have survived this long and been through this much. You see, as the world crumbles and empires collide, as the people of God throughout history suffer for their faithfulness in the hands of evil and unjust systems, we must remember the lesson of chapter 10. There is more going on than meets the eye. There are invisible conflicts taking place between God and his angelic hosts and Satan and his demonic hordes. And no matter the warfare, the wrestling and the despair, it can be all bad, it can be all dark, it can feel like there's no way of escape. 
No matter what it may look like, sound like, feel like, or seem like, God is in control and God is working history out for his glory and the good of those who love him and are called according to his purposes. I'm going to say that again because it's probably the only time I'm going to be preachy in this teachy message. No matter the warfare, no matter the wrestling, no matter the tension, no matter what it feels like, seems like, sounds like, looks like, God is in control. Amen. And God is working out human history for his glory and to the good of those who love him and are called according to his purposes. The Apostle Paul in Romans. Now, if you look closely, something happens. There's a shift in the text. In the final nine chapters of chapter 11, the predicted future events will become much less detailed than the first 35 verses. And verse 40 will use the key phrase, at the end of time, signifying the last things of history. Now, prophecy is often like this. There'll be a more kind of current fulfillment and a long distance fulfillment. Now, this angelic messenger will reveal to Daniel, you ready? One final king and one final conflict. Now, many believe that these final nine verses refer to someone that we know in pop culture as the Antichrist. John refers to this final world ruler as the beast in Revelation 13. Paul calls him the man of lawlessness in 2 Thessalonians 2. In Daniel 7, guess what? He's the little horn who comes out of the fourth beast speaking arrogantly against God. Now, here's what's interesting. It is believed that Antiochus, the fourth Epiphanes, was a type of Antichrist to come. I've heard one preacher put it like this. Antiochus was the trailer and the Antichrist is the movie. He'll be a master politician, but he'll be a liar, a deceiver, only desiring power. He'll be a problem solver, winning many over with his feel-good policies. I want to park right there because if there's any country in the world that is being manipulated politically, it's this country right now. Don't matter what side you sit on. There are biases everywhere you go. What channel you watch, what person you listen to, everyone, you and I, including myself, I'm preaching and I'm bringing my biases to the, you can't escape it. Amen. And I want you to know, that if there's any group in the world right now, any country in the world right now, any group of churches in the world, it's the American church that should understand the seduction of politics and policies. He'll be a brilliant tactician. He'll be an expert in the art of war. And he'll call for those who follow him at some point to worship him and his military might as God. Now, if you balk at that prediction or find it kind of odd, just look at the past. <laughs> just look at the past. We've seen imperial cults, haven't we? From Babylon and Rome to China and Japan, where they worship their leaders as God or a manifestation of. We've seen men like Hitler, Nero, Antiochus, Epiphanes, Stalin. It's certainly true. History, what? Repeats itself. But history will culminate 
as the world's armies gather together for one final battle in that small plot of land. And there, like those evil men that have gone before him, the Antichrist will meet his end. And I want to land the plane. And I know some of you are like, wait, I want to know way more about this. <laughs> That's probably for a more teaching subject. But right now we're going to hold back just a little bit. I want to finish with this. And I want to show this verse to you. In verse 32 of chapter 11, while the angel is delivering this message to Daniel and he tells him about this figure, Antiochus Epiphanes, he actually makes this statement. I think this statement is true for us today and forever. Are you ready for it? Here it is. He says this, Daniel eleven thirty-two. Highlight it, mark it, underline it, put it on your bed. When you wake up, look at it. You know how you like to put stuff on your mirror or whatever? This is it. Are you ready for this? Daniel eleven thirty-two. He shall seduce with flattery those who violate the covenants. <laughs> That's incredible. He shall seduce with flattery. His words will be words that people want to hear. He'll not only seduce those sinners, but he'll also seduce the church. But I love this. Are you ready? But the people who know their God shall stand firm and take action. Wow. But the people who know their God. He didn't say the people who were born and raised in church. He didn't say the people who, you know, serve on teams and come on Sundays. He says the people who know their God shall stand firm and take action. And I've seen a lot of people professing to know God during this season who have been seduced by flatteries, following policies that are unbiblical. And I love how the scripture says, if we keep that up there, we're just gonna let it slide for a little bit. I love this, just know their God. They know their God. My people know my voice, the shepherd says, doesn't he say that? My sheep, they know my voice. They won't come to another. If you've ever seen a shepherd call a sheep, it's hilarious. I YouTubed it with my son and I, and we were laughing because this shepherd's like, lily, 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 whatever, and it's going out there, and all of a sudden you can't see nothing, and these sheep just come running in the fog. My sheep know my voice. They will not listen to another. So you say, well, how do we know God's voice? We can't hear him audibly. We have his words. And through the word of God, Paul tells us that we would be renewed in our mind. Philippians tells us that we would put on the mind of Christ, that we would discern not by our fills, not by our feelings, it feels good or what looks good. Or No, you're going to know the word of God even when the word becomes the thing that nobody likes. Because at some point, the culture is going to demonize the word. Now, we've lived in America. and We've been able to enjoy a Christian nation, as some would say. And we've lived off of what the word of God might say, as some might say. Some others might argue. I'm not here. I'm making a point. But there is coming a time, there is coming a time when the God of this world will be the God of this country and the God of God's, Yahweh, Jesus, the Father, Son, the Holy Spirit, and his word will be the devil of this culture. 
how will you be deceived if you don't know your God? How do I know my God if you know his word? And if you don't know, you wanna go back and maybe watch a couple of weeks ago, we preached on simple devotion. Amen? And we're gonna get ready to take communion at this point, but I do wanna say a prayer, invite the team up. And before we take communion, I'd like to say this, that the primary way, are you ready, in which you know God is through his son, Jesus, who was God in the flesh. He revealed God. You say, man, what does God look like? What does God act like? What, is God, what does God sound like when he talks? What, 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 well, man, if God were here, what would he, all you have to do is read the gospels. God has made himself known to us. He's put on flesh in Jesus Christ. And the first way that we enter, the primary way that we enter into knowledge of God is through the son, Jesus Christ, by putting our faith in his work. Are you with me? His life and his death and his resurrection. And the first thing we do is we give our life to Jesus. We put our faith in the work of the cross. What was that work? On the cross, Jesus took upon himself the wrath of God for our sins so that those who would trust, believe, and put their faith in him, their wrath would be transferred onto him and he would give us his righteousness. And so that we would be in relationship with the Father. Are you with me? This is the gospel. And we put our faith in Jesus Christ, he gives us his righteousness. And we are clean. But we're not just justified by the gospel, we are also what? Sanctified. We grow in holiness. We go in holiness and we know God through the study, the reading, the practicing, the gathering together in the word. And mark my words, if you don't know God or this hasn't become a priority in your life, you will be easy prey to the flatteries of the kingdoms of darkness. Amen. Thank you, Jesus. We're going to worship for a moment. And while they're doing that, if you could take your cup that you received, if you would stand with us as well, and we're going to worship, and then I'm going to walk you through, and we're going to take the communion together. If you don't know Jesus Christ, or you feel like you're far from him, today is the perfect day to put your faith and hope back in him. Maybe you've looked away. I would just call you to look back at the cross again this morning. And will you, maybe all of us can do that this morning. Even if you feel close, would you just stare at the cross for a moment as we worship and then we'll walk through communion together, amen? Thank you for joining us for this week's Inspired Churches podcast. Don't forget to share or subscribe to join us every Sunday. You can keep up with Inspire Churches through Instagram at Inspire Churches or on Facebook at facebook.com slash Inspire Churches. To support the ministry, you can click on the link in the description or visit us at inspirechurches.com for more information.